Welcome back to The Siding Lap, where we give you an insight into the world of motorcycle racing. Now, on this week's episode, we have Joe Sheldon Shaw. Joe, do you want to introduce yourself to everyone? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Glad to be here. Um, so I race in the Prilly National Superstock 1000 Series in British Superbikes. Um, hopefully looking to expand into some new beginnings next year, hopefully. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately out with an injury at the moment, broken scaphoid, but um, going to be back as soon as I can, really. Fantastic. That was my first question, actually. How is your wrist? How, like, how are you? How, how is everything? It's okay. It's um, it's frustrating more than anything. Uh, I've been doing everything that I can to, to try and get back. I wanted to try and get back for Alton uh, last weekend, the weekend just gone, uh, but that was never going to happen and then I wanted to go back for Donington and again my dad was like you're not doing it so um, we'll see I've got a CT scan on Wednesday so we'll see where we're at with that but like I said I've been doing everything I've been in the hyperbaric chambers having red light therapy and I really can't do anymore so it's just a waiting game really yeah just wait and see what happens maybe for Mm. the last round then or I'm hoping to get back for the last round yeah Yeah. fingers crossed anyway yeah good luck for the scan then um so to hop into the career related questions um you officially started your racing career in 2012 that is what i read on one of your websites um (laughs) that you started in the aprilia super teen challenge um but what did you do before that and what was like the first time you ever hopped onto a bike okay so the first time i ever hopped onto a bike um i would have been two and a half years old Oh, that's young. What? Yeah, really, <laughs> really young. young. Uh, my dad always said to me, he was like, you can never have a motorbike until you can ride a pushback with that stabilizer. So we went to this park and I went up and down this hill, like going head over heels all the time, falling off loads. And anyway, I cracked it at the end of the day and I was like, right, I want a motorbike. So we went out and got one. Um, and my first taste, I actually slipped on some oil on the drive when my dad had been working. Uh, I was in A&E with a suspected broken ankle and so yes that that was my introduction but um, yeah so I started on a on a motocross bike when I was two and a half and then when I got to the age of 11 I decided motocross wasn't really for me I tried it for for a lot of years and I didn't really like cleaning my bike that was the bit that I didn't like (laughs) so yeah so with my dad racing um, in club club racing um we decided to uh, sack my dad off because he was getting old and, and give me a turn, really. And that's where it all started. That's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it was, um, it, yeah, it was the best experience ever. I've made some lifelong friends and from that paddock and, and starting at such a young age, still in contact with nearly everybody now. Um, but I have had the best childhood growing up racing bikes. I wouldn't change it. I was just about to say, starting that young, like, I suppose you don't know any different then about, you know, young, like getting into bikes so young. It's such a controversial topic at the minute about how young people start racing. Do you, like, would you have done it any differently if you could have? Started younger. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, really. It's it's my life. It, it's yeah. everything. Um, because my dad used to race, my mum used to ride on the road and my sister raced a bit of motocross too. It's always been in my blood and um, I've been in the paddock watching British Youth Bikes and, and other, other racing since since I was born really. So it was all I was ever going to do. But um, yeah, I guess not really giving the kids a choice at such a young age, but you, you just, 
it, it honestly is the best place for for a child to grow up. It's such a lovely community. Um, like I say, you make lifelong friends and experience things that people never get to experience. So I think, yeah, the only thing I'd do is start younger and um, maybe go into like the road racing scene younger. It wasn't really about much when I started, but now it's great. Like, you know, you've got four or five year olds growing up on the avails and stuff like that. It's fantastic. I believe that there might be some height problems if you're starting competitive racing at five. Can we Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's great to see them though with the little, you know, massive helmets and little bodies. It's funny. <laughs> Quite funny. Looks like little bobbleheads. Yeah. I don't know why they hold themselves up with helmets that big and little tiny bodies. It's so funny to yeah, watch. Well, even when I first started uh, road racing, so when I was 11, my dad actually, who was saying it now? I, I bumped into um, one of the officials that used to ride at Thundersport. Uh, who, sorry, who used to work at Thundersport. And he was saying how he remembers, uh, I did quali qualifying. I think I qualified okay. Um, but because I was so little, I couldn't hold myself up. So my dad had to start me at the back of the grid holding the bike. It was, uh, yeah, interesting. Do you still have all your first bikes? Uh, no, to be fair, there's only like one bike that I've kept um, from, from all my years of racing. And that was my 400 that I raced when I was 14. And that, well, I always said that was my first championship that I won um on that bike and i always said we're always going to keep it it's just sat there gathering dust but one day i'll come back out on it if i can you know if it's not too small for me <laughs> it's like a mini bay bike yeah ride with your yeah. knees up brown your ears basically <laughs> yeah yeah very good so because you started so young and obviously you have all these years of experience now what is a piece of advice that you'd give to your younger self starting racing that young Probably don't worry about what everybody else is doing mm. because, you know, we we started on a on a tighter budget than a lot of people. And I was always like, oh, well, you know, one of my mates is doing this, he's going there. And my dad always said to me, he said, never worry because you'll always eventually end up in the same place, all of you. Mm. Um, and when I got to British Superbikes, we started in the Stock 600 series. And he was right, like everybody that I've raced with that had gone into like the 125 series before me or, you know, while I was still club racing, <clears throat> I was worried about what people were doing and that I wasn't doing the same thing. So when it eventually came back round full circle and we all ended up in the same place, I would just say never panic and always just focus on what you're doing. Don't worry about anybody else. Good advice. Fair yeah. Enough. Um... So you've already talked about how both your parents um, ride bikes or have experience on bikes. Um, did it make uh, your whole experience growing up more difficult or different to other people? Like you probably didn't have to convince your parents to get a bike, right? But your friends maybe did. Like where was the difference in that? Yeah, so th there was a massive difference in my childhood compared to like my friends at school. Um Whereas all my friends at school, like they'd be drinking at a young age and going out and partying and I'd be so focused on my race and I'd like, I'd be in the gym at 11, 12 years old. I'd be eating clean, uh, obviously not going to parties late at night and stuff. So I would say that I wouldn't say I missed out on that part of my childhood, but it was definitely different 
because I was looking forward to the weekend for different reasons, not to go and parties. It was for coming racing and seeing everybody and, and doing what I love the most. So I would say um, some people have said to me that I have missed out on a, on a big part of my childhood. Um, but I just think I've had a better one, really. That's like a good way to like have my English doesn't English. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. That's yeah. it. There it is. Yeah. There it is. Yeah, I think so. I um yeah, my friends at school never got it, but obviously my friends at racing understood that it's just so different. I can't even put it into words how different it is. Um but yeah, I loved every bit of it. That's great to hear. So your dad was a racer too. And how did his experience influence or help you and your racing style? Uh, I think my dad racing um, was a massive help straight away. Um, you know, a lot of kids go into racing and their dads have always wanted to do it, but never done it. Mm. And they seem they seem quite pushy and they don't really understand what the kids are going through, you know, if they're struggling with confidence or, or whatever. Uh, and a, a lot of people have to have like uh, mind coaches and, and stuff like that. And they really struggle. Whereas my dad was my mind coach. My dad never pushed me to do anything that I didn't want to do. Um, he understood everything that I was feeling on the bike and on off the bike too. So yeah, having my dad by my side the whole time, um, made it yeah made it really easy because he, he understood what I was going through and uh, everything that I that I was struggling with I could talk to him we'd talk for hours about stuff um, and even down to now every session that I go out I'm like oh dad the bike's doing this like it's I don't know say it's coming out of a corner it's doing this or it might be doing something really strange that if I talk to a suspension specialist it'd be like I don't really quite understand but my dad's like it's all right I know what you need and he'll, he'll twiddle the suspension and next time I go out it'd be perfect so yeah it's kind of like a secret weapon I would say oh that's cool do you think it's brought you closer to your dad I mean obviously you're already close because you both have that same passion but just saying what you've said there you know you're able just to even look at him and a few words and he completely understands you has that brought you guys a lot closer together then yeah, my all my my family is really close, but definitely having racing, it does bring a different bond altogether. Like my mum's massively involved in my racing, um, so is my girlfriend and and my dad, obviously. But yeah, we our weekends together. I feel like a lot of families that live a normal life, if you will, um, maybe they're not like as close to the parents, but I'm really close. Like I could not be any closer. They're, they're both my best friends. Um, so yeah, I think it's definitely got us such a strong bond. Yeah, we see a lot of um riders obviously moving up in classes and maybe going World Superbikes, MotoGP, etc. And they have to stay away from home a lot. Do you mm -hmm. think you could move into one of those classes? How do you think you could adapt to that? Just because you're so close with your family, would it be a struggle for you to be away for so long? Yeah, for sure, it be it would be a struggle. I'm I'm definitely a home bird. Um, I've even recently over the last few months me and my girlfriend have moved out and I still see my parents every day I make a point of always like just swinging by my mom's like oh do you want do you want me to make you some food I'm like yes of course I do so yeah I think I think that would be difficult for me but um, I would I would always find a way of getting them there whether it's flying them out or it's something we have spoke about um, as my career progresses we have already spoke about 
if we can fly them out or, or what we'd do. But at the end of the day, if I fly out to do a job, I'm there to do a job and I might be there for, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks at most. Then I come back home and I can have a few days at home. So that's cool. And mum will make you dinner, so it's all good. That's it, yeah, yeah. mum will make me Sunday dinner. <laughs> I mean, you could just bring the team to hire your entire family. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> after yeah, yeah. with you. Your dad can be your mind coach. Negotiating that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, um, being away from your family then would be like a massive change in lifestyle. Um, but in general, being a rider, what's... I mean, obviously, you love it, but what is the most difficult part? about being a professional rider? I would say, I would say the mental, the, the mental strain of um, not only you have to be obviously fast on track and focused on what you're doing, but you need to watch very much of what you're saying. And obviously I would always be polite to people, but you have to make sure that you, that you have time for everybody. You don't want to come across as arrogant. So even when you're off the track, you're still not finished, if that makes sense. Um, you don't really get a second to just rest, um, especially when I did um, when I did a well, how many rounds did I do? Six rounds of superbike last year for two different teams, and I found that because I'd got more races and more track time, and then we did like pit lane walkabout, and then I'd be signing autographs and talking to people. <clears throat> I'd I'd get in like the caravan or the truck at eight o'clock at night and be like, wow what just happened I've got to be back up soon so yeah definitely um the mental strain of everything like after a weekend you need a full week to recover I think that's fair definitely um do you get would you get a lot of attention from fans or like on a normal weekend you know you're just saying about the mental strain of everything being so full on Mm -hmm. how do you deal with that sort of side of things in the in the superstock class, it's not so bad. Obviously, mm. it's not as as looked at as the superbike class. But definitely in the superbike class, no matter where you finish, you are always asked for photographs and, yeah. and autographs and and everything else, and doing pit lane walkabout and and everything else that comes with it. Um, what? Sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, on your on your no, I forgot my question. Like on your daily weekends and stuff like yeah. that, you know does it affect you a lot or yeah I it sounds really um it sounds really strange but you you just have to take it as it comes Mm. that makes sense like if you're not one of those people that like talking to people or having your photo taken you're not going to survive long Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean you need to be open to it but um yeah you might get stopped while you're riding to and from on your scooter or something like that so it does um the only time I don't really um, that I try and keep my head down a little bit is maybe an hour, a half an hour before the race. I do like my own space yeah. then, but every other time I'll, I'll be quite open and, and happy to. You also had that big outing at the British round of the World Superbikes Championship where you went on stage. How was that? Oh, Being yeah, surrounded that, by all the fans. Yeah, that was really cool going on stage with Michael. I enjoyed that a lot. Um Everybody was saying to me after, like, oh, maybe, maybe we can get you a job doing this. I, I do really <laughs> enjoy, uh, I enjoyed that side of it. And uh, me and Michael get on really well. So, uh, yeah, maybe, who knows? Maybe when I finish racing, we can do that. Do you we bring out to... your guitar? Yeah. I don't know. 
my guitar is something that I like to play in my time. Uh, <laughs> and then as soon as Michael found out about it, he was like, oh my God, that's so cool. We should get you on stage. I was like, no, not yet. I need a bit of practice. Uh, We've yeah. spoken to quite a few people now and we've asked some of them who've been up on stage with Michael you know what do you think about that and all of them have the same reaction of oh I don't really like being on stage but then I got up with Michael and it's like a new thing now we all have to to get up yeah. on stage and start singing and dancing and all which I think is fantastic <laughs> so yeah maybe there's a career in that somewhere maybe who knows but he, he does seem to bring uh the fun side out of everybody he's really good at what he does and uh, oh, sorry my phone's just saying 20 percent um yeah, it was a real cool experience and I'd definitely go up for doing it again. You guys, Dan, have you been on yet? Michael? Yeah, we've spoken to Michael. Have you have you been on the stage with him yet? No, oh, no. We, haven't. <laughs> we haven't quite had the luxury. Yeah. yeah, that's something you need to get into his ribs about, definitely. That'd be <laughs> there fun. You go. We'll clip this and send it to him and be like, yeah, Michael, why haven't we been on stage with you? Yeah, yeah I'm sure he'll love me for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so you can start a band. Like Michael's musical motorcycle. Yeah, that could work. Motorcyclists. Yeah, that could work. Don't give him any ideas. Though, <laughs> We're writing this all down to hold against you. <laughs> yeah. My God, that would be hilarious though. He'd probably put it on his website and then you have like yeah. all the videos there. It would be funny. He'd be planning it over the winter break now. Yeah. Thanks, <laughs> We've given him too many ideas now. But Jules <laughs> had mentioned obviously the guitar and stuff like that. You just recently changed your logo that we've seen. What, mm -hmm. you know, because you ha have a love for guitars, country music, that sort of stuff. How, how did that come about? Why did you decide to switch things up a bit? With that so one? we decided, me and Michael decided to rebrand uh, at this point of the season to, to just get ready for next season. Mm. Some opportunities that I have... Uh, that I may have on the table and it kind of works with everything you know uh, my new partnership with Michael and we needed like a fresh start uh, my social media wasn't so good before Michael came on board uh, so it was just a chance just to rebrand and get people to to be asking the questions like you guys are and uh, getting to know me a little bit better because I feel like a lot of racers don't like to open up about their private lives or or what they like or, or don't like and uh, I think it does help a lot with, you know, social media and, and sponsors and stuff like that for people to know the real you. So, yeah, um, I like playing the guitar in my time. And I do listen to country music every single day. I love it. Fair enough. It makes sense then. But talking about new media and, or new management, I should say, sorry, why did you make that decision? Is there a specific reason that you decided to, to switch things up a bit? I'm asking some difficult questions. Um, we want to know. We want to know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've got to a point in my life, you know, I'm 23 now. I've been doing it quite a long time. And there is definitely, um, there's definitely some amazing opportunities out there that aren't necessarily in Britain. Mm. However, you do need the right people around you to take you to where you need to be. Um, because doing, doing it on your own is near and impossible. You just, you know, it's that age old saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah. Um. So just putting the feelers out with Michael to see if it was a possibility, if we could work together and there was an opportunity there. So we grasped it with both hands while we could and, and got moving with it straight away. And like I say, I, I feel like Michael's the right person to take me to where I want to be and get me in a point in my career to where I need to be also. So, yeah, that was... um that was all there was really behind it. And we're just going to see what happens for next year. Um, whether I stay in British Superbikes or whether I, I move somewhere else or 
progressing British Superbikes in it into the Superbike class. We'll see. Um, there's definitely a lot of offers on the table after having quite a good season in in the stock class. Um, so yeah, we'll just see where the wind takes us, kind of thing. Just go with the flow is our yeah. is our saying yeah. on this podcast. We've adopted yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that. Well, if you did get the chance to ride for a World Superbikes team. Who would be your preferred teammate right now? Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, on team? I, I want to know what team yeah, you want to ride same. for. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never mind team. No, we don't want to <laughs> push him here <laughs> contract-wise. Not that he's not yeah. saying Ducati and Yamaha is approaching him at the moment. So <laughs> we might not but, want to do that. Yeah, if, I could, if I could ride for, for anybody, it would definitely be the... Um, the GYT Yamaha squad, I think, mm-hmm. because I don't like to be like everybody else. I don't like to go for the factory teams, but yeah. the, the GYT, it's, it's nearly there. Um, and my preferred teammate, I'd quite like I'd quite like Alex Lowe's as a teammate. We mm-hmm. used to go uh, mini bike riding in winter with Sam and Alex Lowe's and, and Richard Cooper and loads of others, Barry Burrell, all the BSB riders. I think Leon Haslam used to go too. So yeah, Alex Lowe's would be a cool teammate, I think. I mean, that's perfect. If you're going mini bikes riding, Lauren still has a race to come up against in the offer you like on mini bikes. I can't ride a motorbike and now all of a sudden well, they decided I'm you. having a race. It's a mini bike. They can teach you. Yeah. That sounds we'll, have to, we'll have to get the mini motos. I have a mini moto and I shouldn't have ever brought it up because I have not ridden it since I was probably about six years old, if even and now we're deciding that we're having a race i think alec wants as many people to try and beat me as possible oh no so you can beat indy yeah i need to beat indy because i want the number 10 if i ever become a professional racer which obviously is never going to happen so well you never know you're never too old (laughs) talking about career paths if you hadn't become a motorcycle rider what what career path would you have chosen that is a difficult one i have often been asked this as well and i really couldn't give you an answer i don't know i do love music i do love music and uh my my sister's really good at playing the guitar and so is my cousin so maybe i would have gone into music but i'm not too sure i like i like speed and adrenaline too much i think (laughs) yeah like it's just in your blood i guess yeah yeah pretty like i've been saying to to maddie my girlfriend like while i've been in the house with my pot on and stuff it, it's so frustrating for me um so i might have been out in my car a few times to try and blow off some steam but it's just not the same but do you think that's just because you've had a taste for racing and that's what your passion is obviously things might have been different if you'd never gone down that that route of racing do you think maybe maybe but i do i do love skydiving and skiing and bungee jumping and everything that that scares me have you done all those things yeah Mad. Wow. Yeah, I did, uh, sky skydiving in 2018 and then we try and go skiing as many winters as we can mm. and we went out to italy in january that was really cool um skiing. that's yeah. also great for yeah, balance like yeah yeah skiing's skiing's difficult to be fair i'd not skied since i was eight and uh, maddie oh. was like oh let's go on a skiing holiday so i was like yeah i used to ski it's fine <laughs> So um, we went with Maddie's parents. So we went to Italy and went to this lovely resort. And uh, it was like, all oh, right, let's take you down a few slopes then. So we went right to the top of a block straight away. Oh, that wasn't and a good idea. I learned the hard way. I think the first day 
I spent the whole time just eating snow. <laughs> but by the end of the holiday, I was back to back to being all right. That's good. I've also read on your website that, like, that you flying that you learned to fly a plane. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so for my 23rd my parents were like right what should we get you i was like i don't know what i want i don't really want anything a plane. i don't know what else i can do <laughs> yeah i'd love a plane <laughs> and i've always like i love top gun so when top gun was coming out i was like right we need to go watch this new top gun film and then i was like oh i really want to fly it's one thing i've not done so my parents got me um like this starter course to to be a pilot so I've looked at how many flying hours I need to to get my pilot's license, and we're going for it. That um, is fair enough. The, why? Just was there any passion before that, or was it literally just the movie that made you go, "I want to fly some planes"? I just want to. I want to do as many things as I can. Yeah. Um, so if I could have like my my flight, my pilot's license, and then maybe a boating license, and anything I can just to. <laughs> say i've done it really get your wee private plane and a wee yacht that yeah. <laughs> sounds like quite the lifestyle here that's it that's what yeah. we're going for what was what was more difficult to learn riding a bike or flying the plane riding a bike really yeah are planes difficult then no how do you fly a plane i'm so confused <laughs> I don't know. Does it have a plane more buttons? Yeah, there's a lot of buttons that I really don't know what they do. Um, <laughs> just gonna ignore them. Just yeah, no bikes are. Yeah, bikes were harder to learn, but I don't know whether it's because I'm older now. Mm. Someone was like, just press that stick forward and backwards and waddle it around a bit, and you're fine. That could play. be it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we kind of went way off with the career path question. Yeah, but, yeah, we did. Um. I've also read that you work as a motorcycle mechanic for a day-to-day -day job. Yeah. Is, would that not be an option to do? At um, yeah, I, I love bikes. Um, I look at them every single day and I work on them every single day. But I don't know. I, I, love, I love my job. I love what I do. And it's great. Um, but when you're riding them and then fixing them all day, it does get a bit tedious, I must admit. Um, do, you, go on. do you work on your competition bikes as well or do you let the mechanics do their thing no I let the mechanics see to that <laughs> um, just because I think my dad says it's very important to um, to keep my work and my racing mm. separate which I do agree with it, it's too much too much stress so I just let the team take care of, of everything it's great when I'm there it's like yeah. a like a holiday <laughs> do you just have to get do you have a bike for the street, like just like a regular person? No, I'm I'm not allowed to ride on the road, says my parents. And so does oh. work. So, if you say, if you could pick one though, which one would it be? That's easy. So I work at an Aprilia dealership called Via Moto in Sheffield. Um, so I love the Tuono 1100. That's the bike I would choose for the road. I think that seems fair. I suppose with the like knowing a lot about the bike if that was something you were to do but you would just want to race because that's what you I, I don't I don't even know what I'm trying to say here but just the like the mechanic side of things I understand why it wouldn't be something that you want to go into because you have that passion for racing as well so it yeah. makes sense that it wouldn't be something that you'd be 100% interested in doing mm -hmm. maybe after after your career 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the, the reason behind me being a bike technician was when I left school, I didn't want, I hated school. Mm. I really hated school so much. All I wanted to do was race bikes. So my dad was like, right, why don't we choose you a job that you love and then it'll be like, like you're never working. And then maybe when you retire, you could run your own team. Yeah. So that was always the thought behind it. And at the minute, I'm I'm trying to set up my own business, which is uh, building and repairing race bikes. It's called Forward Vision. So go check it out if you've not seen it already. A uh, bit of marketing. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to set up my own business at the minute. Um, like I say, it's repairing and, and building race bikes or road bikes. So it's something that's in the pipeline ready for, for when I do retire or when I take a step out of racing. It's always there. Um, it's something that I, I do every day try and promote my business and get it out there. But um, yeah, if I could employ somebody to run it for me, that'd be great. Oh, that's that's the dream. You, you set it up so well that you just have to sit back and put your feet up and go on the <laughs> private jet every day and someone else runs the business for you, yeah. That's the plan. That's the plan. And then I can just live it up in my, in my yacht and my... And your yacht and, and your plane. And my plane, yeah, that's it. Well, to be fair, we do see a lot of ex-racers, you know, sort of try and set up their own teams and and businesses and stuff like that does racing itself give you a lot of information like that does that help you that you can give then give your information on to other riders is that why you would want to set something like that up to help other people are you yeah definitely so i i've helped a, a few younger riders and, and i'm helping a, a few younger riders that come to me um and obviously the, the guys that i built bikes for this year i built a, a 600 for somebody that finished i think he finished second in one of the club championships and it's such a nice feeling to be able mm. to pass my years of race experience and, and what I've learned on to everybody else. And when they do well, I get a bus from it as well. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely it's nice to, to help the younger the younger generation out. But I'd like to help out the younger generation that really can't afford to. Yeah, definitely. Would... I'm sorry. I was just going to say, does it sort of it's the same way as how your dad and your family helped you out so much with racing that. Yeah. If you can give that experience to other people who, like you were just about to say, you know, maybe don't have as much money to get into racing, is that why you would want to maybe go down a route like that? Yeah, definitely. 100%. I, I want to help the people that want to race and have the talent to race, but not necessarily the money. I think that's a massive part of racing that maybe is missing at the minute. Racing has changed, whether it's in cars, but it's definitely in bikes. Um, the racing world has changed from what it used to be. There used to be a lot more money in racing and, you know, people... And companies could splash the cash out on you, whereas now the riders that are talented don't really seem to get a look in, and it is sad. Um, so I'd definitely like to bring that back into the racing community. I like that. That's a cool. That's a cool idea. Definitely. Yeah, it's just having the it's having the opportunities and and the right people around me at the time to make it happen. But I'm sure, you know, in years to come, if I can keep setting it up the way that I am doing, it's a possibility. Would you want to literally have your own team with, you know, two riders? That's what. Yeah, I'd love to. Do you remember? Uh, I don't know if you do remember or not, but it was something called Racing Steps Foundation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Quite a yeah. few years ago, uh, something along those kind of lines would be yeah. really cool. Bringing young British riders through to Grand Prix and stuff—that'd be. That's the dream, really. Yeah. Which class would it be? British Superbikes yeah. or somewhere else? I'd like a to big be MotoGP. <laughs> well, MotoGP would be great, but I don't think I have the first strings for that. Uh, but yeah, bringing them, bringing them through to the Superbike class would be the goal, really. Yeah. Which bike? 
<laughs> oh, all the questions. Now. Yeah, well, we're planning the entire team. What should be the colors? <laughs> Do yeah. you need a logo? <laughs> I'm not sure. By the time, uh, by the time I'll be doing that, I think they'll all be electric. Unfortunately. Oh, I was having this conversation yesterday, actually. Do you do, is that somewhere you think that motorbike racing is going to go? Do you think it's all going to go electric? I think it'll have to. Yeah, I think with what's going on, I think it mm. will be made to. Unfortunately, uh, it's not something I want to see happen, and that, it's not something I really agree with. But that's another that's another topic. Uh, yeah, I just <laughs> do I, we... I can't even remember why we were having that conversation. But yeah, but. Do we have an update on this whole alternative fuel thing MotoGP and Formula One put their money into? 2027 was the date that no. rings in my head for something along yeah, those lines. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Um, I'm that not be entirely interesting. sure. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I just, maybe I'm just a bit wishful thinking, is thinking that they cannot change the likes of MotoGP, World Superbikes, Formula One, all to electric racing. But there's yeah. also no... Sp- Baseward, as we have Moto E and there's Formula E. So... I think they're going to want that to take over. Mm-hmm. And that it, just, it'd, just it'd become be Formula really One, be Formula E, technically. Yeah, it'd be a really big change. I don't know if it's a change that they can pull off. I don't know. I know that the German government probably would be all for it. Mm. Like, over here, the whole racing thing isn't as big anymore as in like the UK or something. So it's always interesting because you guys pull up so many racing series and stuff and I'm just sitting here like, oh, I have MotoGP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's about it. You still have DTM. <laughs> yeah, but I'm more into bikes than into cars. It's, yeah, definitely an interesting conversation. I don't know why <laughs> how we got there, but yeah. 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 Completely yeah. off topic. It's... It is something I think that is going to have to be a massive conversation in the next few years, but whether it be e-bikes or petrol fuel, we'll uh, we'll find out. Um, yeah, we'll move on though to, obviously you're injured at the minute and we discussed a bit about that earlier, but how did you deal with the first time you've ever had a big injury in professional racing? How do you work through that? It's a difficult one. The, my first big injury um was actually in 2015 and it it went viral on youtube oh really yeah if you look it up it's called 54 seconds of hell and it's quite it's <laughs> already she's away to give it <laughs> yeah, I'll link it. It, we'll have, to go yeah have a look at that if you can get at that so i was um, i was 15 at the time i was racing in, in thunder sport in the club championship and it was my first uh first official race on the 600 mm. i got special dispensation uh, from the organizers and there was who was in that race now there was a lot of big names that are now big names that are in mm-hmm. the race so there was uh, there was myself there was harry and matt true love um oh. there was tom and tim that's neve a... that's the one oh. yeah tom oh, and tim neve and then a few races that uh, they never made it to to bsb but mm-hmm. yeah there was a lot of races in that and tom neve's chain snapped oh. I ran straight into the back of him and then my leg got caught in his rear wheel and then the eight riders that were behind us, because we were fighting for second and third, I think it was, they all ran over me and into my leg and I had to have a special reconstructive surgery on my knee, pins and plates and bone grafts and all sorts of horrible stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that was the biggest injury that I'd ever experienced. 
and I was sliding down the track on my face after everything had happened and my heel actually touched my chin. Oh. So you, you figure that one out. I don't even know. I was just about to ask how that happens, but I don't no. actually know the answer to that one. I think we um, need to put so a trigger was... warning on this podcast episode. Yeah. So that was, um, yeah, that was quite a crash. That was one of my biggest crashes ever. In fact, it is my biggest crash ever. And uh, luckily it was televised. Mm. So there I you go. Just, you can I was just it. about to say, how do you get up and walk away from that? But obviously you didn't just yeah, get I up didn't. and walk away from that one. I didn't. But they did say, um, what did they say now? I think they said that I'd be off my feet for about six months and I was back racing in eight weeks. What? How, how, how did you do that? Oh, same as I'm doing now, actually. Uh, the hyperbaric chambers. Mm. They, they just that and my fantastic chiropractor at the time worked with me every single day and getting me back to where I needed to be so yeah that was the biggest injury I've ever had and one that I never ever want to have again you were pretty like, young back then like 15 or 16 yeah so I was I 15 guess. yeah um how did you process that mentally and what like how did it feel getting back on the bike for the first time after that um well i don't really my family aren't a massive believer in hospitals so you know if you get ill you just take some like medicine and you're fine um so my first time staying overnight in hospital was was massive my parents couldn't stay with me overnight i was on a children's ward even though i was 15 um and then having to undergo an operation i thought i was going to die I, 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 I was overreacting massively um but obviously at that age and now at that time it's only it fair big, to be honest yeah it was it was a big thing and I think my operation was a six-hour operation oh. and not even knowing if I could ride or walk properly ever again <laughs> so the recovery procedure there was a lot of frustration in there as there usually is when you're off your feet and you don't realize how how much you and this is going to sound really odd but you don't realize how much you need your legs until you don't have them Mm -hmm. that makes sense you take them for granted massively so yeah not being able to even have a shower properly at 15 16 when your mum's washing you is not great um bless her so yeah <laughs> it was it was rough but the first time back on the bike we'd, we'd been out testing me and my dad we were like right this is i've got i think i had like 80 percent movement in it it still doesn't move all the way now it's, it's quite it's quite bad but 80% range of movement and we decided to go out and race and I remember all the scar tissue that had formed around my knee when I put my foot on the foot peg and I'd gone on uh we went to rock uh, no we didn't where did we go I can't remember what track we went to it wasn't Rockingham but it was something really bumpy and I remember coming around the corners and feeling on my knee cracking as the bumps were like oh. crushing all the all the scar tissue um yeah so that was a horrible experience and then my first race back I crashed no <laughs> oh god yeah. so then I, again i was really worried because it wasn't it still wasn't fully healed so i was just like feeling around it was all bruised from where all the screws had hit my hit my skin on the outside so it took a bit of getting back um a lot of confidence building and a lot of bite time and a lot of patience really from my parents because i wasn't as you can imagine i wasn't very uh wasn't very happy about everything I think I'd just cry, to be honest, if yeah. anything like that just happened to me. I, don't, I honestly don't understand how motorbike racers can have a crash like that. And then your first thought is, how soon can I get back on the bike? Like, how soon can I go and do something similar to what I've just done? Like, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. 
what you learn is that it doesn't hurt forever. Mm. Like, it, it's horrible at the time and it, it's, yeah, it's what, you might be out for six weeks, but then you forget about the pain and you want to go and race again. You need that fix. I think I'm reading uh, Aunt Middleton's Fear Bubble. I think it's called Fear Bubble at the minute. Uh, all about how he how he handles like his not his PTSD but his um, his need for adrenaline. Yeah, and he calls it the fear bubble. I'm reading it at the minute because I'm obviously I'm really frustrated with my hands, so it's really it is helping. Um, so yeah, you just need your your fear fix. I think mm-hmm. if that's the way that you that, if that's the way that you work, you need your fear fix. Yeah, I suppose that's why we see the likes of Mark Marquez wanting to come, keep coming back and racing. We've seen it before with loads of other riders who you would call it a career ending injury and then somehow they come back because you just you need to be on a motorbike and you need to be racing and i think it's it many people don't understand that sort of need to be on a motorbike it's what you do it's what you love so, yeah but it's that feeling of winning as well you never mm. get that sense of feeling doing anything else and i think yeah. even if you had i don't know let's say you had a 30 year um career where you want where you've won everything every race ever let's say you'd never feel like you'd had enough you'd always feel like more so i think that's a lot to do with mark's injury also wanting to come back and his drive for you know he finished what did he finish p4 Mm -hmm. after that slight incident at aragon Mm, just a minor incident in aragon yeah Yeah. (laughs) nothing massive um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about something a bit more happy though rather than injuries you yeah. had described um well you have previously described 2018 as one of the best years in racing you mm. finished second in the Pirelli National Supersport 600 why why was that the you know one of the best times in your career it's one of those years where I look back and I can't ever remember anything going wrong mm. every race that we went to we was always happy because we were either on the podium or in the top four I think um who was Fred Clark I think he came to me with the stat that I never finished one race lower than sixth place all year wow. um, which is a pretty cool start yeah. so yeah I can never I just think back to that year and I always have a smile on my face everybody was happy the bike never missed a beat. Every time we went to a race meeting, there was never a race meeting that came away from thinking, damn, we could have done better or mm. that wasn't real good. Um, and then obviously finish, finishing second in the British Championship at the end of the year just was the icing on the cake. And first time that I'd been on the podium in British in the British paddock mm-hmm. and it was the year that I finished second. So it was great. Um, yeah, I just never, never think back to that year and think, oh, yeah, there was that one time. I could have done Yeah, yeah. What would be your favourite moment from that season, if you had to pick one? I think, because we were going into the year and the pre-season testing thinking, yeah, we, we maybe have a chance of doing really well. Mm. And then when we got to Donington Park, which was the first round, and it was sketchy conditions. And if you have a look through the results, sketchy conditions where it's part wet, part dry are my favourite conditions where I was yeah. do my best. Um. I think I stuck it second on the grid in qualifying. I was like, oh, well, we knew we were going to be good, but we didn't know we were going to be this good. And yeah. that, set the, that set the whole tone for the year. But I think that, yeah, that bit of belief, it was literally like that little boost that I needed to come from sixth place to second. Um, and I think the next three rounds I was on the podium and it was just that, that bit in qualifying that gave me the boost that I needed. So I would say Donington, yeah, first round. 
fantastic brilliant and obviously you have a lot of experience on a lot of the british tracks but if there's a track anywhere in the world that you'd most want to ride on where would it where would where would you like to go that's a difficult one um i've always wanted to do hareth okay always wanted to do hareth but i would say if i really had a chance of going anywhere i'd love to do road america Hmm. it's just yeah. it's massive and it's it's always a track that i've played on like the xbox or whatever and thought, yeah. it's a cool track it's not the, quite the same on the yeah. xbox though, yeah maybe not yeah. we'll see we'll see i might get a chance hmm. Wait, you do also have a very nice another record to your name which is being the youngest rider to score points in the Brit in bsb in the shortest yeah. amount of time. In the shortest what amount of time, which I didn't even know that there was a record to be beaten. Um, <laughs> well, you did it. <laughs> yeah, and then we, yeah, it was the uh, the second round on the superbike for CDH, and it was at Cadwell Park. And uh, I just had a really, really good race and never gave up the whole way. I uh, came across the line in 15th, and then I came in like, you broke the, broke a record. I was like, what record's that? <laughs> um, but yeah, Fred Clark had dig that one out of the archives and I, I hope it's going to be one that sticks around for quite a while I mean doing it in your second race is pretty impressive so I would have loved it to have, have carried on with the with the team and and the superbike mm -hmm. journey just down to funding unfortunately but maybe uh, maybe we'll get another shot and we can break some more records doing some other things yeah mm -hmm. being the first one to get into the points at their comeback maybe maybe that's a new maybe record that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do believe you can do it yeah i'll think of it yeah think of a new record to break now that's always a fun one to do. yeah that's it you need to uh, you need to message fred on facebook and ask him if there's any more that can be done <laughs> what else can we do here yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just need to come out with a, a big win and then yeah yeah you will definitely have your record <laughs> yeah. yeah i'll have my sights set on that when uh when i come back in the stock class yeah definitely and I suppose the last big weighted question which did sort of touch on earlier would have to be next year what's what what are you going to be doing next year in in racing I don't have a a hundred percent answer for you <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and, um, yeah everything's all up in the air at the minute I've I've got a few things that I can do mm -hmm. um I know what I'd like to do mm -hmm. but it just depends down down to the down to funding as always um but i can tell you that i'll be on a thousand cc that's all i can tell you um yeah that's all i can probably tell you at the minute okay so just adding a little bit of spice and leaving the rest to imagination yeah there you go yeah i'll uh, yeah you'll definitely see me see me racing you'll definitely see me on tv um and it'll be it'll be in a respected championship so whether where that goes i don't know Everyone you know, always dodges know. this question. I'm yeah. waiting for someone just to drop a big bombshell and be like, we're going to this class. Yeah. <laughs> I will just maybe, reveal the plan. Maybe if we did the podcast in December, I could tell you. <laughs> I we think, can arrange that. We'll yeah. come back in December and you can you can drop your bombshell bombshell then. We'll do that. There we go. That might be, <laughs> yes, a, good, yeah, that might be a good episode, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying it's World Superbikes with Yamaha. <laughs> <laughs> you dropped you dropped the hints during yeah. the podcast. Come on, Michael, sort that out for me, mate. <laughs> Sorry, I said it now in a podcast now. It has to be done. Mm, <laughs> now. I do believe yeah. in Michael's abilities to make that work. 
<laughs> so do I. He's, yeah, he's very good. Michael has a lot to do after this podcast episode. <laughs> he does. Mm, definitely. Right. Well, that's all of our main questions for you. Now we have the quick fire questions. So as fast as you can, they answer them. We will ask you to elaborate on some of them if you give us a bit of a funny answer. But uh, yes, hopefully you can answer these nice and quickly. Okay. So you have already answered this first one, so I'm going to skip the second one. Win from pole or win from the back of the grid? Back of the grid. Everyone says that. Yeah. Any particular reason behind that one? It's just so cool, isn't it? <laughs> it's just cooler. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Can just wave at everyone passing down. Yeah. Not that many people do it. <laughs> you just feel better. Yeah. Seems fair. Okay, so time penalty or grid penalty? Mm, grid penalty. Put me to the back of the grid. <laughs> so you can wave from the Maybe a pit lane start even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That might be difficult though. Uh, stay in a hotel or motorhome? Motorhome. Oh, that's the first one who says motorhome yeah, instead of hotel. hotel. Yeah. Any reason? Yeah, the, the hotel's okay, but I like the atmosphere at the track. Mm. I, I never, once I'm at the track, I never want to leave. I always feel like I'm missing out on something. Mm. That's fair enough. And everyone always says they like hotel because they like the luxuries and nice big bed, nice shower. Yeah, there's and always some drama there. There's always drama at the track. I love a bit of drama. Are you just running around, <laughs> earing in on everyone's conversations? Yeah, like, what's it. going on here? Yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, cheap meal or rest day? Can I both? No. <laughs> uh, cheap meal or rest day? Mm, rest day. Um, your hype song at the moment. A song that just gets you fired up. Yeah, motorcycle drive-by, actually, at the minute. I'll have to give that one a listen. Yeah. Is it a country song? Yeah, it is a country song, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, the next one might be a bit spicy. Who are you most scared of to be going into the first corner on the first lap? Oh, Who am I most yeah, scared of? To be yeah. beside. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I butchered that question a lot. <laughs> I skipped a few words. So who are you most scared to be next going into the first corner on the first lap? Uh, in my class, uh, Bjorn Esteman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any other me classes in, that you'd yeah. be scared of? In, awesome. in Superbike, I think... Let me have a think. That's a hard one. It's not mm. even quick fire, is it? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> we just want to tea. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Tommy Bridewell. Mm. in Superbike I think or if it was MotoGP then it'd be Marquez yeah I can understand that one Moto3 (laughs) just going through all the classes now (laughs) don't know about Moto3 don't know everybody they're all they're all crazy yeah Yeah. Um, what's more stressful five minutes before quali or five minutes before the race five minutes before quali Hmm. Hmm. that's interesting yeah any reasoning mm-hmm. behind that one? Surely the yeah, racing so... is scary, though. Well, not the... scary, but, you know, more pressure. The racing, you know, after you've, like, had all your practice sessions mm. and your qualifiers, you know whereabouts, who you're about, so you're going to be around. Yeah. And you know what everybody's pace is like, so you, you can expect in the race, whereas in qualifying, people can drop a second of a lap, like, at the drop of a hat, 
Yeah. And you might be, you could be going from in practice sessions running top six to being 15th, 16th, mm. and then you've got a right massive job to do. So yeah, qualifying for me, because it's that one lap that we just need to buy at the screen, that's that's more stressful for me. Okay, fair enough. Um, more corner speed or more top speed? Corner speed. Corner speed is key. Oh, that's the first person who said corner speed. Everyone just wants to go fast on the straight. Everyone just wants a fast move. Yeah. Do you know what I hate? You know when you're watching Moto Three, mm. and like that one person's got a like a miles faster bike than everybody else. I hate that because I feel like it's not your talent that's winning the race; it's the bike. Yeah. Whereas I prefer my talent to win the race. So it's like Fabio Quattararo hasn't got the fastest mm. bike on the grid, but his corner speed and the way that he rides has to be better than everybody else so yeah. i would say corner speed hmm. basically you're not a leopard fan then in mode of no, not so much no. <laughs> <laughs> um so do you prefer a dry race or a wet race depends what track mm. well, is there All some the tracks that you'd prefer for a wet race yeah so there's in Britain, there's two two main tracks that are really slippy in the wet. So Snetterton, the one that I did my wrist, and Donington Park. Mm. Um, whereas I love the wet at every other track. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I tend to get the better result in the wet, but I do enjoy riding in the dry more. So that's difficult. I'd say wet. Mm. Fair enough. Sounds good. Um, do you have a pre-race ritual? And if so, what is it? I do, but it's quite long take us through it then go on <laughs> so an hour before my race i will put my headphones on put country music on put my motorcycle drive-by on because that's yeah. what gets me quiet <laughs> yeah yeah and i'll stretch in exactly the same way same order every yeah. single time and then once i've done stretching i put my leathers on sit next to the bike put my earplugs in so i can't hear to it can't hear anybody else and then just before two minutes before we go out it has to be two minutes. I put my right glove under my left. No, I don't. I put my left glove <laughs> under my left arm and put my right glove on first and then my left glove on after. Okay. And so that's, that's everything? Mm-hmm. Mm. And that's the first time we've had someone have a proper elaborate mm-hmm. ritual as yeah. well. I was like, oh, no, just get on the bike. And that's that. That's interesting. I would be someone that had, would be a ritual sort of person. I always put my left sock on before my right sock. Not yeah. forwards, but you know, those are the sorts of things. Well, I always put my right shoe on first, so would it do you have you ever tried it any differently? Yeah. And has it affected it? I've wrist? either crashed or not done as well, so I go back. <laughs> oh, that is interesting. It's a even... with the ritual. Yeah. yeah, I even wear the same colour, like I have loads of different tops, you mm. know, like undersuits, but they have to be orange now. Orange is like my fast colour. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, the next one is if you could have dinner with three people of your choice, dead or alive, who would you pick? Mm. <laughs> That's really hard. Um, Barry Sheen, mm. Luke Coombs, and Valentino Rossi. Fair, good show. I like that yeah. one. Luke Coombs, is that the country? Yeah, he's a singer. 
yeah, I, everyone's obsessed with him because he's announced a tour and everyone wants to go see it. And oh, no, I to get to. <laughs> Did you get tickets? No. Oh, disappointing. That's sad. I mean, you could have asked Michael and Michael <laughs> would have been able to arrange it. You would have Maybe. gotten back, yeah. backstage. Maybe I need to drop him a message after this to let Michael sort us out. <laughs> so, um, who is your biggest sport sports idol? It doesn't have to be sport related. Who's my biggest sports idol? Hmm. That's difficult. Um, that's really hard. Oh, sorry. Wait to hear the next one. Sorry, I was just getting a phone call in. Sorry about that. Um, Problem? I don't know. I'm going to have to pass that one. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> can't pass this next one, though. You have to answer this one. Yeah. Who's going to win the championship in MotoGP and World Superbikes? Oh, oh <laughs> right. Um, I've got to stick by Johnny Ray and World Superbikes. Mm -hmm. And I think... It's got to be Pecco, hasn't it, for MotoGP? Mm. Does it have to be? <laughs> I think it'll be close, yeah. Then it'll be. I don't mind that answer, but I'm not too sure about it. <laughs> okay. We'll what do you think? Fabio. Yeah, me too. He I think Alicia has, has a good show. Although I do Fabio, think it'll be Fabio. Fabio is the most consistent one. And, well, compared to... Paco especially. Well, if Paco um, breaks out of his Banyaya cycle, then he has a chance. Yeah, he's in the crash stage, yeah. but he still has time to come back. But he's already <laughs> been in the crash stage before, and it looks like it's happening again. That's true. That's true. But I don't know if Quattararo does like a crash, doesn't he? Mm, well, he had a crash last week, but that obviously wasn't his yeah. fault. It was no one's fault, really, but... I don't. Mm. I think if he had the bike under him, it would be mm -hmm. a clear decision. I, I think know, it would. Maybe we should put money on it. Oh, okay. <laughs> How much money do you want to bet? Also, I think we have uh, split currency here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jules and I have euros. <laughs> we always did a bet in my house, and it was twenty p, no matter what. That sounds good. That I sounds do like think. Oh, I think. We should do it that way, Dad. We will send you a pair of stickers with our logo on it. And if oh. one of us is winning, you have to put it on your helmet for a couple of races once you're back. Yeah. Deal. Uh, and then you don't get to do anything to us if you win. There, it's good. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So that is it for this week's podcast episode. Thank you very much again to Joe for joining us. If you want to follow Joe, what are your, what's your social media? What's your website? Where can people find you? Right, so my website is joeshellenshaw.com. My Instagram is joe underscore sheldonshaw10. And then my Facebook is joe sheldonshaw. And I think my Twitter is joe underscore sheldonshaw10 also. Perfect. Well, we are at the Siding Lab absolutely everywhere if you want to find us as well. And we will be back next week with another episode. 